0: Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can come together to worship you and to learn from your word. And we pray that you'll work in our hearts and help us to have a tent of hearts and minds and that we might learn something and grow in your grace and come to understand just how much you do love us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, we looked at faith's endurance. We saw that faith calls us to self-discipline, reminding us to focus our eyes on Jesus and consider him as the example we are to follow. We also saw that faith encourages us in God's discipline, reminding us that his discipline is proof that we are truly his children. Faith also reminds us to strengthen our weakness that we may be healed and teaches us to strive for peace with all men and also to strive for holiness. Finally, we learn that faith warns us to persevere, that we do not come short of God's grace. This week, we will be looking at Hebrews 12, 18 to 29. And if you'll notice in the bulletin, I... Named this the four mountains. Now we'll see here that there are actually two mountains that the author of Hebrews mentions, but uh, there are two other mountains that it reminded me of in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at all four of these mountains. Here he uses these two mountains, Mount um, Sinai and Mount Zion, as reminders of the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the first mountain is described in verses 18 to 21. Starting at verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sounds of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. The mountain he is using to represent the old covenant is Mount Sinai. The first thing he tells us is that we have not come to a mountain that is physical or can be touched. He continues with a description of this mountain. Notice the language he uses to describe this mountain, a blazing fire darkness and gloom, and finally a whirlwind. This is a visual description reminding the readers of Mount Sinai and what it looked like when Moses went up to get the law. This was enough to strike fear into the heart of even the strongest. With this very graphic description, the author describes Mount Sinai. This was designed to evoke a very emotional response. He wanted them to understand the fear and trembling Israel went through as they were waiting to receive the promised covenant that Moses went up to get from the Lord. But he didn't just stop with describing how it looked. He continued with the description of how it sounded to Israel. His description clearly shows how Israel felt with the presence of God on the mountain. This description is as follows, a blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them. The preacher added a capstone to this description by saying in verse 21, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Clearly, this is a scary place to be. If you are standing on good works and following the law, then this is the mountain you stand on. It is clear that the author of Hebrews is talking to those who have trusted in Christ because he started out saying, You have not come to this mountain. And it continues in verses 22 to 24 by describing the heavenly mountain that we have come to. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and myriads of angels and the general assembly in the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of righteousness made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the, the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Here we see, by contrast, that we are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. This place is also populated by myriads of angels, and of course, Jesus, the mediator of our new covenant. Notice in verse 24, the author of Hebrews mentions Jesus, the mediator, in context of being sprinkled with blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And at first when I read that, I was, what's going on here? Talking about the blood of Abel, but the author of the uh, commentary I'm reading on talks about this. And what he's getting at here is this contrast here, is the blood of Jesus is the blood of forgiveness the blood of the new covenant. Whereas the blood of Abel is the blood of accusation, accusing his brother of murder. Two vast different things. If you remember, Abel was the first shedding of blood. It was the first sin of man against man. And it's brought in here, his blood speaks of accusing people, of or accusing his brother. So here we are at the crossroads. Which mountain do we want to find ourselves on? The first mountain, covered with darkness, gloom, and raging storms, a place filled with danger, destruction, and terror. This mountain is the mountain of separation from god this mountain is the mountain of the law the second mountain is filled with peace light hope and a loving savior this mountain is the mountain where we will be with the lord forever Matthew 7, 13 and 14 remind us to enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. There are many that are on that path to the mountain of destruction. And God has called us to tell people of the danger. That's part of why he has us here, is that we are to tell people of the danger of the path they're on, that they may also join us on the path that leads to Mount Zion. You'll notice I have titled this message, Four Mountains. That's because as I have started reading this passage, I was reminded of two mountains that Moses discussed in Deuteronomy. And before we do that, I left the remote over there. Hang on. Yeah, can you get the remote for me? Thanks. Yes. I wanted to show you something about these two mountains Moses is talking about here. And I hope I got it working right. The two mountains are Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebel. Can you go over and slide it so that that's more centered? Thanks. It's on the browser. Mary wants me to move over so everybody can see. Thank you. Can everybody see now? The scroll bar on the bottom of the browser should. There you go. There. Okay, I'm gonna set the picture for you here. This. In Deuteronomy is where Moses is getting Israel ready before they cross over the Jordan to take the promised land. These are sort of his final instructions before they go where they go and he goes to be with the Lord. Deuteronomy 9.1 starts this passage where Moses gives Israel instructions. Verse 9-1 says, "Hero Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess, dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, great cities fortified to heaven. These instructions continue for many chapters, but I only want to cover a few that Moses uses to encourage them to listen to the commandments of the Lord and to warn them of the curse if they do not listen. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six 26 to 29, say this. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today... And the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today, by following other gods which you have not known. It shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, that you will place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Think about this, two mountains, one to be blessed and the other to be cursed. And as you can see from this picture, they can be seen for miles. That's the city of Shechem in between the two mountains. Look at how tiny those buildings are. So the perspective of this photograph, the, the person is a long ways away. And think also about how long It has been since Moses said that and yet these two mountains are still there as a reminder. So not only can they be seen far in terms of a physical distance but they can be seen far into the future in terms of time. God wanted these two reminders to be remembered. That's why he used mountains and not little altars Deuteronomy 27 1 to 8 continue then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people saying keep all of the commandments which I command you today so it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you that you will set up for yourself large stones and coat them with lime and write on them all the words of this law. When you cross over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the the God of your fathers promised you. So it shall be, when you cross the Jordan, you will set up on Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you today, and you will coat them with lime, Moreover you will build there an altar to the Lord your God an altar of stones you will not wield an iron tool on them you will build the altar of the, to the of the Lord your God of uncut stones and you will offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord your God and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God you shall write on the stones all the words of this law distinctly where was this altar to be built it was to be built on mount ebel mount ebel was the one that was cursed where were these stones of the law to be placed they were also placed on mount ebel There was no mention of either to be placed on Mount Gerizim. The law leads to a curse. And the curse God provided, and with the curse, God provided a provision with the altar of sacrifice. There was no need for sacrifice on Mount Gerizim because only perfect people were fit to go there. That mountain spoke of blessings, and it was only for those who obeyed God's word in everything. I ask you, was there anyone in all of the history of mankind Who obeyed God so completely that he would be entitled to go on to Mount Gerizim? Just one. Just one, exactly. Jesus. He was the only one. He was entitled, but he chose to walk the path of Mount Ebal to become a curse and a sacrifice himself on the altar that we may be given the gift of righteousness so that we may also walk on Mount Gerizim the mountain of blessing. Paul tells us this in Galatians 3. He said, Jesus became a curse for us. And I want to read 10 to 14 from Galatians 3. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for The righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So he became that curse that we may have that blessing. So this lesson Moses was setting forth, they didn't really understand what was going on. They thought, oh, if we just live the perfect life. That's why the scribes and the Pharisees were the way they were. They thought they had it all together because they were practicing what they thought was the right thing. All the while, they were standing on that mountain that was cursed because they were standing on the mountain where the words of the law were written. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm going to become that curse that you may walk on the mountain of blessing. As we near the end of Hebrews, we come to a final warning. In verse 25, we see the opening to this warning. 25, Verse 25 says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for of those who did not escape, when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. The preacher, the preacher's reference to him who is speaking here, actually brings us around full circle to the beginning of the book. Remember Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 say, God, after he spoke a long time ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways in these days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He continues by reminding us that there is no escape. For those who refuse him. Again, by this language, the preacher is reminding us of his first warning. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, where it says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Hebrews 12, 26 and 27 continue by reminding us how God shook the earth at Mount Sinai. Verse 26 says, and his voice shook the earth, but then now as as he has promised saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Here, he says, how much more terrible will the shaking be when he shakes the universe? When it was Mount Sinai, it was really scary. Think of it, the whole universe itself being shaken. This happens on that final day of judgment. This is a reminder of the prophecy in Haggai 2.6, which says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and also the dry land. And Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, finish this final warning with an encouragement to steadfast service. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire This unshakable kingdom is the same one John describes in Revelation 21 verses one to four. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. We're nearing the end of Hebrews. And as we look back over the book of Hebrews, if we learn only one thing, It should be the importance of being steadfast in our faith. Regardless of how difficult the circumstances, we need to stay focused on him, looking for that eternal kingdom. Just the other day, Winnie Bennett gave Mary a Christmas letter. And I was actually very encouraged by it. I want to read it because in her quiet wisdom... She is encouraging the same thing. December December 2016, 78 and three quarters years on this earth. I have served God for 58 years, haphazardly for many years partially, until five years ago. Cancer struck, and my life almost ended. But God, God Almighty communicated with me even while I was in a coma. I remember it like this. I prayed for God not to let Satan have or touch my mind. In the corner of that hospital room, God caused me to look up. And he brought to me some scripture verses, communicated with me, assuring me that I belonged to him now that Satan could not get close enough to him to take me out of his arms. This message came from verses I had taught in Sunday school years ago. The last five years were a time of learning and using my knowledge of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit to experience many situations that I refer to as God things. Multiple in number. Prayer. I had forgotten that prayer is power. And it is also very powerful. God has communicated that he still has work for me to do. People to share with. Souls that I need to pray for. And people in need that I am able to help should this be my last christmas i want to say to you if you are a christ follower believe that christ is god incarnate and his holy spirit lives within you born again christian i look forward to spending eternity with you in heaven if you have chosen another way or road to eternity may you have a happy holiday and many more to come. Love and prayers, Winnie Bennett. But God, that is an amazing phrase. No matter what the situation, but God. You know what, that says everything. That really does. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are in complete control. We praise you for the grace that you have shown to us. We praise you that you became the curse, that we may have the blessing. we pray that you'll remind us of this and that you will encourage us to walk by faith trusting that your goodness is always there ready to say but God we pray that you'll help us to also be an encouragement to others to pray for others to reach out to others and most Importantly, to be an example to others. That our lives may show a true change and something that is impossible to live out unless we are in that expression, but God, I am a sinner, but God can make me righteous. I am prone to anger, but God can make me patient. I am prone to impulsiveness, but God can give me self-control. And all the other things that we can do that are wrong, we pray that you'll remind us that you can be that factor in our life that changes who we are so completely that we are unrecognizable from what we used to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.